Chief Miller is dedicated to featuring the men and women of the fire service from around the world. Chief Miller has a family of content creators who feature great people doing great things, making the fire service a better place. Make sure to follow along as Chief Miller creates, shares, collaborates, and features the special people who call themselves firefighters. Follow along on Instagram at Chief underscore Miller. Find him on Twitter at Chief underscore Miller underscore. Like him on Facebook at Chief underscore Miller number one. And watch for all the podcasts featured within the Chief Miller media family. Make sure to check out ChiefMillerApparel.com for all your fire service apparel needs. Hey, canners, it's time for 30 minutes of unadulterated and uncensored shenanigans. Get ready to call HR because you're going to need sensitivity training after this. Gear up because it's going to hurt worse than writ training in July. Welcome to the Can Man Radio Show with your host, Jason Liska. Welcome back to another great episode of the Can Man Radio Show. I'm sitting in Ocala today, not far from the Villages, which makes it sound that much more important when you call it the Villages. And I'm sitting here today with an awesome individual, someone who actually you look up to, someone who is a pioneer in the field of firefighting podcasting or firefighter podcasting. And if you've never heard his show, then shame on you because I've listened to a few episodes and I haven't listened to every one of them, obviously, but you definitely put a good product out there. And, and this man sitting across from me right now, if you've never heard of Behind the Shield, well, then shame on you, as I said just a few minutes ago before technical difficulties. And that's James Gearing. So welcome to the show, James. Thank you. Thank you for the uh, great introduction. I'm amazed that you're able to get this rock band in here with us. You know, listen, Bomberos is a great song, <laughs> and it's the only song I want to use when it's opening. You know, I like that song. It, it To me, it resonates with everything that I am, because I love just good music deep down inside. That's a solid song right there. It is. It just, the, the way it starts the show, it sets the tone. And before we go any further, I want to take a second to recognize a few of our other sponsors. You heard Chief Miller and Ryan Pennington introduction uh, just before we started, but I want to recommend and recognize axcaps.com. If you guys are looking for quality firefighter-made apparel, you're looking for any can-man apparel and all the other brands they represent out there, then go to axcaps.com and you'll be sure to uh, find what you're looking for. No ifs, ands, or buts. Custom and or already pre-made. And then we've got Ian Sargent from Sargent Firebags, sgtfirebags.com. If you're looking for something along the lines of a gear bag or a radio strap that's uh, designed to be washable, help reduce that cancer exposure, that's sgtfirebags.com and my good friend Ian Sargent. So we were talking about the villages just a few minutes ago, and I want to kind of go back to that. We were joking about how it's golf carts and broken hearts. How about that? I, I, I just seems like I, I should make a bumper sticker for that, James. Well, what's crazy about the villages is I've met people literally from outside the U.S. Yeah. And when you say the villages, they're like, oh, is that the place with all the STDs and the old people? Oh, the, the, the capital <laughs> so of Florida. national news. Yeah, <laughs> obviously, it's a beautiful place, and a lot of people live there, but there is that bizarre sexual subculture with all the different colored scrunchies or whatever the hell they we, are. we were talking about that as well a second ago <laughs> and if you've never never looked it up just look up scrunchies and villages and just leave it at that or, or, or shams shower shams in, in the villages you might you might be surprised what you find out so yes. getting back to where we started you know we had a great series uh over the past month or so starting at fire rescue east where we were able to sit down with bull we we're able to sit down with marie guma and we're now sitting in with uh, Rick Seagrass. We sat with him a few weeks ago talking about the health and wellness. And now you. And if you were able to understand why we're doing what we're doing, why we're continuing this series, uh, we're going to have to break it up a little bit because we're not able to get to everybody we wanted to up front. So we're going to introduce this new uh, aspect of the series. That's the health and wellness. And that's where Rick Seagrass podcast is going to come out debut this week. And then yours will come the week following. So I'm excited to get you guys out there. Um, but James, you're an accomplished person. 
no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I sit here in your office and I look at a lot of the material that I see on this uh, on these bookcases. And you know, mentioned the people you interview, you actually really study before, or if you didn't know enough about them when you met them, you take the time to learn about them, not just in the podcast, but after. And you've actually had the opportunity to really meet some fascinating people in your time. But we'll get to that. Tell me why. Where? Tell me about you, because quite frankly. There's got to be the James Gearing that most people don't know about or that you've never really divulged in your podcast. So let's talk about where you found your love of service and how you entered this profession where it's brought you today. I, uh, I had a very unique upbringing as a little farm boy in England. My dad was a vet, veterinarian. Um, so it was uh, an amazing introduction to how you should treat people. So there was a kindness and compassion with the animals. Obviously we were treating those, but we had such a diverse group of people come through the farmhouse. So if you were a client, you brought a dog, you normally end up having a cup of tea in the farmhouse. And, you know, so we literally had people from gypsies, travelers all the way through to members of the Royal family. Um, and that's not in any sliding scale. They were all equal people. And we learned that there was only one of two types of people on planet earth. It was either nice people or shit bags. That's okay. It, you know, so class and race and all that stuff didn't factor at all. Um, so that was, that was really, I think where the grounding of the kindness and compassion came in. I wanted to be a fireman since I was tiny. Okay. And one of the medical exams that I had when I was school age told me I was colorblind. Those, those books, mm -hmm. the little circles had to and, figure out the numbers in the in, in the circles as well to see yeah. if you could read the numbers. And I could see some of them. So I'd be like 12, 17, that's a badger with a gun. I'm lucky I can count the 10. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm, I'm fucking five. Come on. So so they said, all right, you can't be a pilot. Mm -hmm. You can't be a firefighter. Mm -mm. And basically all the fun things I want to do, they just scratched off the paper. And it really left me... Um, directionless for a long time yeah i wanted to go to medicine when i got into the higher science stuff i just didn't have the the drive for it ironically what i really wanted to do was street medicine which you know i found myself back to but very very long story short it took me to be in my late 20s when i moved to america and i had this kind of aha moment where i looked around like what the hell are they talking about i can see colors yeah i can't be a fashion designer i can't tell you what's chartreuse versus you know aquamarine or whatever but just let the just let the english accent work for you we don't need to worry about fashion it's okay but the lights i can see you know the yeah. things i need to see i can yeah. absolutely see so um i passed the medical they showed me the books i said i don't do those books can you just ask me stuff in the room he's like all right what color is that what color is that yeah next thing i'm a fireman you okay know, i got past that hurdle um and so just taught by some amazing people through Hialeah was my first department. Okay. Um, I went to Central Florida Fire Academy in Orlando before that. People like Walt Lewis were in my cadre, just some amazing instructors. The old mid-Florida tech, in other words. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And then worked West Coast and then back on the East Coast. And really what drew out kind of what people know me for now was I was I'm just a fireman, you know. I'm no I'm no better. I'm not a guru in forceful entry or ropes or yeah. anything, you know. I'm just the the rest of us. That's what I represent. Yeah. But I did have this background in in sports science. So I've been an athlete my whole life. I, I coach. I went to a university in London and I finished my degree here in Florida. Mm -hmm. um, At the University of Florida, nonetheless. Yes. Yeah. I am a go Gator. I am a Gator. Yeah. You, when you say it like that, it's <laughs> like I could be a Seminole, but I'm a Gator. So, uh, but what happened was, and it's, it's horrible, but five years ago now, we had about two straight years of mm -hmm. burying firemen. Yes. You know, and it was a, just a spectrum of, of problems from aneurysm, heart disease, cancer, autoimmune disease, overdose, suicide. Mm -hmm. And so the, the health side of me is kind of standing on the outside looking, going, this is, this, there's got to be underlying causes for this. Okay. You know, you look at the grinder where these incredibly fit men and women stood next to you as a brand new fireman. How do we get to where we are 10, 15 years into their career, 20 years, mm -hmm. and now they're all dropping like flies? Yeah, they're overweight, they're stressed, they have addiction mm -hmm. issues, they're hiding alcoholism, mm -hmm. depression, um, and, and scary. Yeah. So I looked around and I was looking for good information within our profession. And 
there are some good intention people and there are some within, you know, like, um, some some great people great coaches great but they're not the face of wellness so okay. when i looked i just couldn't find a decent podcast specifically addressing those issues so i had that moment where like all right well if it's not there that's that's the universe opportunity saying yeah all right yeah. get your ass in gear and it's up to you then but like i said i've never i'm not the expert i'm just the person that knows just enough to hopefully ask some good questions and draw out information from the, the experts of the world because everyone that's an expert in that field can't be an expert at a thousand things no no so let me find the nutrition gurus the fitness gurus yep. the people with powerful stories the ones that have been through these amazing mental health journeys and mm -hmm. literally had a gun in their mouth and then pulled their way back out and let me learn from them selfishly as a student that obviously record it and then let everyone else on planet earth hit play and learn as well so you know, you, you, you touch base on a lot of movement too. And, and I want to fall back on that movement as well. You, you left Florida, you went to California, you, you worked right outside of Disneyland itself in Anaheim. Why? What brought you to California? At the time I was married. Um, I, I went to fire school. Like I got my, hired with Hialeah because my ex wanted to live down in Miami, okay. be, be famous. Um, then she decided she wanted to go to California, go to Hollywood, be yeah. famous there. Yeah. So I looked at who was hiring. Kind of, I mean, I researched these departments. So Anaheim, just yeah, it was a uh, was it then ten station department, um, very aggressive. Lots of special ops teams, arson investigators. I mean, all kinds. Um, and then the the reputation when I looked, you know, they were a very well respected department. Okay. And thank God, they saw this Englishman that was willing to fly twenty five hundred miles to test with them, just to give it a shot. Yeah, they were like, okay, we'll we'll, we'll try. Um, so that was what took me out there and their, their bar was set so high mm -hmm. and I loved it because it made you fucking proud when you yeah. got through that year because with every single class, they'd cut about 25%. They wow. Took, they took it seriously. Wow. You didn't make it, you didn't make it, but you ended up with great engineers, great captains, great chiefs where I, I mean, I literally can't think back to any scene where I second guessed a, a leadership decision. Whereas when I moved back East, there were many, many examples of that. Why so. do you Why do you think there was a huge difference, or or there was such a gap in what I appear to interpret to be an accountability or in desire and drive? I don't know. It seems like there has to be a fundamental difference in the culture between a West Coast and an East Coast now, just by that thought process. So what do you think separated the two? What do you think created that divide between the two? Yeah, I don't think it's West or East. I think it's department specific, but okay. through what's been four fire departments in my career, plus you know our local one here, I've, I've, I've seen from the outside looking sure, in, sure. Um, the common denominator is if you set the bar high at the front door. It's, it's literally that simple. Okay. And then I ask, People on the show, you know, like in the business world and the special operations community, and it's the same thing. When you lower the bar, you basically set that organization up for failure because when the bar is high, you're asking these people to reach it, mm -hmm. and people are worried like, oh, we'll never get enough, you know, bums on seats. It's the opposite. The good people will come and they'll seek you out. If you're known to be an aggressive department, you know, and have a lot of pride in where you work, mm -hmm. it's the same in the business world. People, you're not... You know, you're not headhunting. They're coming to you now. Yeah. Whereas when you set the bar higher, the people that just walk over the bar, now they're going to become chiefs one day. And so then you wonder why you have so many issues in your department 10, 20 years later. So fitness is a huge component of your life as well. Okay. And I think fitness in that mindset also aids in the process of achieving your best, right? Because if you're not healthy in the mind and healthy in the heart or healthy in the body, are you going to function at 110%? No. Okay. So would that same rule be applicable to the line fireman as much as the chief of the department, do you think? With, with fitness specifically? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can't, you know, that, that, that phrase, do as I say, not as I do. That's what it boils down to. Okay. If you're, if you're a chief or, you know, even safety captain, whatever it is, and you're not doing the training alongside your men and women, mm -hmm. as well as your men and women, then how can you then turn around and expect them to... To respect you. So I'm going to play a couple of moments from uh, several of my interviews over the series, and I'm going to start out with the fitness aspect, which I think is great. Um, 
And when we sat with Rick Seagrest, and, and like I said, his podcast will be coming out uh, probably today or tomorrow, um, we talked about the fact that there's no exact one-size-fits-all when it comes to our fitness, right? There's options out there. So let's take a second, and I, I want to get your interpretation with regards to the thoughts you're going to hear and then his response, okay? This earlier, we talked about the fact that, in a sense, firefighter fitness is not a one-size-fits-all Kind of concept. I mean, you have various popular concepts of how things can be done. And I, this, again, it's not going to be disparaging against any particular form from, you know, weightlifting to crossfitting to any kind of extensive cardio, triathlon training, Ironman. We have several Ironmen and women inside of our the fire service that are very physically fit. So we do. We have a lot of people out there that achieve physical fitness, right? And they do so because they're motivated to do it. And something Rick brought up was it's a small percentage of the department in a lot of cases and that it's harder to motivate the masses than it is the minority. So let's hear his response. And I want to, I want to follow up then with your interpretation of both. All right. If you exercise, whatever you like to do, you should keep doing. Mm -hmm. If you like CrossFit, keep CrossFitting. If sure. you like bodybuilding, keep bodybuilding. If you like Olympic lifting, if you like marathon running, like swimming, mm -hmm. whatever you like to do, the stronger you are, the harder you are to kill. We know that. Amen. Stronger you are, the harder you are to kill. Mm -hmm. What do you think about all that? I think Rick's full of shit. You think he's full of shit? <laughs> no, I don't. Yes, Rick, you hear it? You <laughs> heard it live. <laughs> and this is the guy that said, uh, you thought it was charming. <laughs> Damn, Rick. No, he's absolutely right. And I think that just to layer on what he said, because I agree 100%, um, getting to... The disciplines you've yeah. got to find that that sport or that exercise regime that gets you in the gym that gets you in the pool gets you on you know on the field whatever it is you're doing yeah what he brings to fire sled is say you are a triathlete an incredibly you know well-versed fit triathlete that is amazing no easy feat but, no but you still got to work on the strength component yeah of what we do so you're a strength athlete the reverse. Now you might be incredibly strong on your lifts, but you have the cardio to be working twenty minutes into a scene. Mm -hmm. So, um, and and I agree with him that you've got that small amount that are gonna work out no matter what. And that middle group in a good department, they're also gonna work out because they're led by good leaders. In a bad department, that middle group you've lost because the toxic people that are working against Mm -hmm. That wellness mentality that we see in some places, they're dragged down. They're, so, so that middle group has got to be led by the the fit people, and not just fit like aesthetically, but the motivated ones that see the value in tactical fitness in order for us to do our job as as well as we can. Well, we're a performance based profession. Okay, when you think about it, operationally speaking, we have to perform at peak levels uh, in a lot of cases. I mean, it's not just on the fires. I mean, think about the amount of lifting, movement, uh, kinesiology, right? The study of movement itself. How, how, how do you think that impacts our ability to do our job? The fitness? The fitness oh, aspect absolutely. of it. So, so one great example... I'm only 170 pounds. I'm six foot tall. So I'm built You're like, scrawny. like a toothpick. I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> it's crazy. So, you know, so obviously I'm viewed as, oh, is he strong enough? You know, mm -hmm. you have to look at what we actually are required to do. So I, there was, um, I'm blanking on his name, a Denver chief. I went, to, I watched him at the Orlando Fire Conference speak a couple of years ago. Um, and I asked him, what, what is the, the, the amount of stairs, the amount of flights that you require your firefighters to be able to climb? Okay. And he said, the tallest building in my city. And I couldn't agree more. Okay. If you have people on the top of a 48-story building. Better get up there. And the elevators go out and they're dying. What are you going to do? Oh, sorry. I, only, I can only do 10. Got to check tired. out today. Can't do yeah. it. So it's, is it going to suck? Yeah. Yeah. But for all the motivated people out there that have done, you know, the 343 kind of memorial climb, you've mm -hmm. done 110 in your gear. That's only half of that. You know, so it's completely doable, but you have to, you have to train for the worst day. Oh, we only run, you know, EMS. We're mostly EMS, you know, uh, department. Yeah, but what happens when that gunman comes into the school, into you know whatever it is, or your heaviest fireman? How, I mean, how much do you weigh? Uh two sixty. With your gear, you're probably what three. Close to three ten, three twenty. Exactly. So my my question is, can I pull Jason out 
if he gets hit by something or or passes out or whatever with your gear. I think you could personally, but yes. But I train to. That's the yes, point. Yes, absolutely. So that's the thing is you can't be like, oh, it'll never happen. You've got to imagine all the ways that it might and train as best you can. There's only so many hours in the day and you've got to have rest and recovery, but you've got to train for worst case scenario. And so this being a great idea and concept and factual, actually, not just a concept, but a factual premise that, you know, if you can't perform the job, should you be operating at that capacity because you're not going to succeed you'll fail and and here we have the people who end up with cardiovascular problems they end up going into uh treatment for hypertension diabetes down the road obesity and all these other issues that are course corrected uh, or could be course corrected with a little bit of guidance i think the the greater stigma here and the reach i'm looking for is how do we penetrate the negative mindset? And you said something about taking that middle ground and utilizing that as the voice. But personally, if you looked at someone who was struggling mentally and saying, man, I really don't want to be a 270 pound guy anymore. I'm not you know, a seven foot linebacker. I'm just a guy trying to do a job and I've lost my way. And I'm not saying that that that's always the case, but what about those people that truly struggle and, and how do you identify? Cause that struggle is sometimes where that negative attitude comes from and why they deflect so quickly when it comes to fitness. Yeah. I, so I think one thing I've seen in the fire service, which we have to be very careful of is shaming the men or women that are out of shape. Okay. Because what I try and do very clearly in the podcast is show that it's there's two prongs to the fork, mm -hmm. as it were, of of where we got to where we're at. Of course, there's personal ownership and responsibility. So that person should be working out. They should be watching what they eat. They should be you know focusing on recovery. They shouldn't be drinking too much. Well, that's easier said than done when you're an environment that also sets you up for failure. Mm -hmm. And it absolutely does the way we do, you know. The, the profession in many, many of the departments. So one of the big things on the mental health side as well is getting people to understand that you are an environment that's setting you up for failure. Mm -hmm. So you're working, let's take most of the country, 56 hours a week. So one day on, two days off, which mm -hmm. is absolute bullshit. Okay, for a start, it's three days on, one day off. Three, three eight-hour days shoved together mm -hmm. with basically that second of the three-day period to recover. Or you could put it another way, oh, we only work 10 days a month. No, you work sure. 30 days a month. Sure. 38-hour days. So now look at the banker, the guy bagging your groceries. Mm -hmm. What do they work? What do they tap out at? 40 hours. Yep. Okay, so... Nine to five. You, the people that you're asking to get up from a dead sleep at three in the morning, go drag a kid out of a fire, and then start working a pediatric code on them, is sleep-deprived and overworked. Mm -hmm. And yet the person bagging your groceries is 40 hours. So there is an absolute physiological cost to the sleep deprivation that we cause. And that's just a regular work week. That's not 758, you can't go home on your kid's birthday. We need you to stay here because we can't staff our department properly, Yeah, which is reality. Oh, There's yeah. a hurricane coming or an earthquake or a you know, brush fire. Absolutely, we all have to band together. But how many departments are understaffed and relying on forced overtime to staff their department? There are plenty of them out there uh, in Florida and abroad. There's yeah. many, and, and it's a struggle. You know, it's a huge struggle to try to prevent that overwork and overexertion and the, the toll it takes physiologically. You know, we talked about looking at the tier one operators and I love talking about people who have served right in general. Thank you for your service. We appreciate the sacrifice you made in time, effort, blood, sweat, equity in our country. But at the same time, look at our tier one operators and how they're trained to perform. How are we truly any different in an aspect between, granted, we don't run into austere, environment, austere environments where we're getting shot at, but we do run into burning buildings. We do have to climb that 48-story high-rise, and we're wearing probably a little more in weight with the gear we have than they have to, but they, they train, they prepare. How come we're not doing that enough, and where do we fall short? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the big things... So just to finish kind of the thought process of before, so sure. people need to understand the physiological cost of the way we do it. Mm -hmm. So sleep deprivation will cause an absolute drop in testosterone. Mm -hmm. So so many of the firefighters out there, men and women, 
then look at their tea, it's rock bottom. There's a lot of reproductive challenges that men and women have. Mm -hmm. We have weight gain, we have the hypertension, the, yep. the hormonal changes, yep. and then that affects the brain as well. Healthy body, healthy mind. Well, unhealthy body, unhealthy mind. Mm -hmm. So there's absolutely a link between depression, anxiety, and then suicidal ideation and sleep deprivation. That's why we use sleep deprivation as torture. So we, like I said, have set our men and women up for failure, not in any malicious way, but we haven't changed with the times. So when we were literally sitting in a firehouse, smoking cigars, waiting for a fire, yeah. petting the Dalmatian, yeah. now fast forward to EMS and everything we do, we're still acting the same way and we can't, we have to move forward. What the special forces community, special operations have done, and I've had so many of them on the show, is they have moved with the times. Mm -hmm. They do not use flintlock pistols anymore. Yeah, we use the same fucking helmet from 100 years ago. Yeah. They move forward. They understand the, 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 the advantage of progress. And they've gone away from more is more to less is more. They mm -hmm. have nutritionists and fitness trainers and they focus on recovery. Mm -hmm. You cannot operate as a high-level tactical athlete when you're exhausted. We get hurt so much more because if you think about the old bodybuilding times, you, you, you lift weights and then when do you grow? When you sleep. Well, that's the same for, you know, that, that carries on. So if we're trying to exercise and be an aggressive firefighter and do the physical training and not sleep, you're breaking down your body to the point where, yes, the fit guys do get hurt because they're actually taking their job seriously, but sure. not given the time to repair. Sure. And so... You see some departments out there that are proactive, and they introduce it as soon as you walk in the door. Down in South Florida, uh, I'll use my alma mater uh, as an example. And, and for the past, I don't know, 1984, 30-plus years, almost 40 years of its existence, they have prided themselves in Palm Beach County with regards to how they develop their recruits from day one and the, the processes they put them through. And then they've evolved into the health and wellness and they incorporate the whole aspect of how do we make you whole in this profession, knowing that the investment is going to pay off in dividends, right? That does cost money. And obviously that could be a great hindrance to get to that point. You, you do look at performance levels between certain departments and you say, we can fix it at what cost and then take that cost and consider what happens when we have a line of duty death from a cardiac arrest or we have someone that has a stroke while they're on the clock and they go down and that costs just as much if not more don't you think yeah so the perfect phrase to sum up the fire department is false economy okay so many people in the departments i've seen in in whatever administrative position they're at are trying to make themselves good, look good in that budget year. Mm -hmm. Oh, I cut these costs. I saved the department this much money. That's not how good business people operate. Mm -hmm. So we talk about firefighting being a business. It's not a business. But if you want to use that mindset, okay, well, let's talk about investment. Mm -hmm. You think about how much, like you said, a line of duty death is, a workman's comp claim. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Let's take the sleep deprivation cognitively. Mm -hmm. An intersection wreck where we kill a minibus full of kids because we blew a red light. Or, you know, an officer pulls his piece out and shoots a teenager going for his driving license because he's so sleep deprived, he doesn't even understand what he's doing. Yeah. What is the cost of that down the road versus investing in, let's say, for example, a department that has a Kelly day at the moment. You take away some of those Kelly days, you basically need to pay for like two thirds of a shift. Mm -hmm. Now you give these men and women a full two days to recover from each shift. They're fresh, you've got an extra shift to work with. And then the savings down the road I mean, they, they've proven it, and I, haven't, I can't name studies, but in the military and all these other things, by improving recovery, you save so much more. And then in, the, in Bull's conference, mm -hmm. um, Walt Lewis had a slide, and just one, one lieutenant that was hurt, you had their, their um, salary, and then you had the time and a half of whoever was sitting in their seat while they were hurt. Mm -hmm. It was like $150,000 just to have someone in the seat while he's hurt. Golly, okay, that's, that's the one, overtime? One yeah. Officer. So you think about that, how many people are actually out. Mm -hmm. We do have the money, but we need a leader, actual leader that can look past the budget year and say, look, we need to do this now, but this is going to not only save all this money, but actually if you care about human life, this is going to vastly reduce the amount of cardiac incidents, strokes, sure. depression, you know, suicide, which is going to make a much better workforce, a happier workforce, and deliver a much higher level of service. And we call, talk about it's for them. 
Well, it's not for them if we're working 56 hours a week and people can't even freaking look without being cross-eyed because they're so fucking tired. Well, you look at what just happened in Osceola County and the two firefighters that got into a physical altercation while on a scene and they they equated that to sleep deprivation. Mm -hmm. Whether that's true or not, that was their statement and that's what their, their, their reason was behind it. And do you think that... Had they just worked a 24-hour shift with 48 or 72 off, that same level of response or anger or hostility might have come out in them. I mean, they were at their 44th hour of a double together and probably at a busy station too, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing with, with the presumptions. So you got these, oh, these freaking awful horror stories of where they do have cancer presumption yeah and the lawyers will fight them and basically the the subtext is if we fight long enough this person will be dead before they can get a penny from us yeah the presumption should be and it's proven in the sleep medicine world if you are on shift that is a level or class two carcinogen okay it's equivalent to smoking yeah for it. yeah so that's the only presumption you need so forget about fucking were you on this fire or you exposed to this hazmat incident mm -hmm. if you're a firefighter on shift or a police officer on shift that should be your presumption right there mm -hmm. you are choosing to be awake when everyone else is asleep where the natural world and you know humans for hundreds of thousands of years and the sun went down soon after that sleep pressure comes you go to sleep the sun wakes up you wake up your circadian rhythm is normal you function beautifully you're asking someone, hey, well, I'm asleep. Will you stay awake and go against your physiology and increase the chances of you getting sick to protect the rest of us? And you say, yeah, I will. But in return, mm -hmm. can you give me enough time to recover so the next time I have to do this, I'm kind of cl as close to zero as I can be again? There's a there's a recommendation, and you've mentioned it a few times. I'm pretty sure it aligns with the 2472 concept where the first day you come off, right, you're you're not in a position where you could necessarily just decompress. There's always something going on, right? Or God forbid you have family commitments, part-time job commitments, whatever the case may be. And it's really just that day two of being off, right, that you're supposed to have that extra time to rest because then, of course, you're going to get a whole day to rest up doesn't always work that way and then you look at that third day and and that's where they start seeing a difference in in having that ability to really truly recuperate before you get thrown in the position of having to run you know 10 15 20 calls a shift and maybe not seeing your bed but for a few hours so what's the breakdown there why the 72 and why does that relate to uh better sleep patterns and better recovery patterns yeah well you can look at it two different ways so firstly which is the to me the I don't understand why we haven't had people having this discussion already. Our Northeast in America works for 42 hours a week. Mm -hmm. Boca Raton down south here. You know, um, Bryan, uh, Ohio, where Paul Combs is from. Okay. Same thing, 42. Mm -hmm. So we have all these departments already doing it. And yet when we, the rest of the country talks about it, it's like a, you're asking for a unicorn fight in rainbows. Like, mm. this is this is a normal mm -hmm. American world we. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know... Having that rest and recovery, you said it perfectly. We go on shift, we do it, just say a 24, mm -hmm. solitary 24, which yeah. you know most of us would just beg for these days when we're in <laughs> mandatory time. <laughs> no joking. Um, so then you get off at 8 a.m. Uh -huh. Okay, so that day, so, mm -hmm. you, so you went to work on Monday. On Tuesday, you've already done eight hours. So that's not a day off. You've done another full eight hours. Most of us were probably up most, if not all, of the night of any busy municipal department. Yeah. So it's only the next day that you're actually, you wake up next to your wife in the same house as your kids okay so it's one in three but then what happens is you get to mid-afternoon you're already packing your shit mm -hmm. and packing your your food that you're going to need for the station yeah so even that day you're already anticipating so i think what the the key thing is of the 2472 is that you have a middle day where you're not about to go work and you also woke up next to your wife because one in three waking up next to your family kissing your kids before they go to school kissing your wife, you know, before she goes to work, that's a third of your career. You were actually with your family. Yeah. You know, so now you're changing that dynamic. But then the other thing is, you know, it's just, it's, it's a work week. <laughs> it's a 42 yeah. instead of a 56. So that's the, the, the thing we're trying to get people to understand is a, it's a false economy. We're losing all these people. We're, mm -hmm. we're getting all these mistakes on calls. How many firefighters that we lost in a search were, from sleep deprivation. How many firemen that were on a roof that fell off or off the aerial was sleep deprivation induced? That's you know? a, yeah. So and then you've got well, what are the big line of duty ones now? Cancer and heart disease, completely directed to, 
to sleep deprivation as well. Well, and now, now we're entering the world of PTSD, which we'll definitely cover in a moment. Um, but I want to highlight something you, you actually shared. So I don't get Kelly days, never had a Kelly day, wouldn't even know how to function with a Kelly day. Right. But what I do every now and then is take a mental health day and I'll throw a vacation day or a random time trade in and work at a pretty busy station. I mean, we, I think we ran 12 or 13 and 24 hours. We did get to sleep all night, which was nice. But even at the station, you and I both know you don't really sleep at the station. There's no, there's no perfect world here. Even when you don't get a call after midnight, you're, you're not going to fucking sleep because you're usually your anxiety, your nerves, you're ready to go. It's like, Oh God, what if that call comes in? So you, you have to almost force yourself to sleep and i've never slept well at the fire station right never have i in my entire career however getting back to when i'm home and i don't have to go back to work on that third day i'll be honest with you it's nice when i get to stay home for an extra couple of days and just really enjoy that because i notice a difference in my attitude and my mindset and granted it's not just an extra day it's several extra days but it's it's something that I find helps me at 43 next, well, two months from now, my mindset being a lot different from when I was in my 20s and invincible. My God, man, that extra few days makes a total difference. Yeah, no, it it does. And I think that's to to frame it a different way. I mean, like I said, I've had guests from every every profession, pretty much as far as the the silos of professions. Look at the sports world. Mm Mm-hmm. You take an athlete. Actually, I had Chris Hinshaw. Great example. So Chris Hinshaw trains all the most elite mm-hmm. CrossFit athletes, all the podium winners he's, he's taught. Mm-hmm. And he said, and I quote, you can work out and eat the best food all day. If you're not sleeping, the other stuff is a waste of time. Yeah, it doesn't matter because you have no recovery. Yeah. So when you take an athlete and, and you study your favorite athlete, whether it's the NHL, NBA, you know, whatever, find your favorite athlete, look at how they train to be the best version of them sleep rest recovery is going to be a huge huge part but here's the difference they're trained at a level that is a huge financial commitment for the organization that employs them to perform right so that's why they get that full catered to treatment they got to perform but they also have the investment made in them to be able to perform that way so that they can commit to the sleep patterns and they're disciplined, mind you. They're probably more disciplined than most when you think about it. A professional athlete has to maintain top physique in order to perform, right? So why, again, it's that false economy or that false thought process that we can't invest in our people. We we compare the two and it's like, wow, if they can do it for them, how much more does it take to invest in us to get us to peak performance, to help us achieve and not drop dead at 40, 42, 43 years old or less than a few years out of retirement? Yeah. Think about the injuries we sustain in our line of work, okay? Most of my injuries, honestly, have been probably related to EMS calls and just technique and stress and being tired and lift assists. And you got to learn sooner or later, you know, you got to learn prevention. Well, it's preventative medicine. An ounce of prevention goes a long way. So when we talk about the repetitive injuries and the problems we face, we how do we acknowledge that too? And what do we equate that to? You said sleep deprivation is a big one. But there are other sides of that, too, and performance and being agile and having a good mindset. Those all relate to it in some way, don't they? So I want to kind of put an image for you. So you're on the grinder. Think okay. back to yeah, your, your fire academy or even better, your new hire academy sure. of a department. Sure. As I said before, the men and women that you're looking at are probably going to be in pretty good shape if they prepared for the academy. Best shape of my life. Okay, so... Yeah. We focus so much, and you had a good example, EMS. Oh, I'm going to give you a class on how to lift. Mm-hmm. What were you doing in Fire Academy? You were in all kinds of fucked up positions, mm-hmm. doing search mazes and hoisting things at the top of the tower and doing drags. Yeah. And you never got hurt. Now, yes, we were younger, but you were in shape, but you were also not awake every night. That's you know? true. So I'm not saying it's purely that, but what people need to understand is as the career goes on, mm-hmm. we are literally destroying our bodies. And that's why you see so many. I don't think that the, the injuries are because someone lifted someone wrong. We, we've spent years and years and years lifting just fine. But Should be as, second nature, right? Yeah. So, yeah. But if the body is starting to, to warp because it's being broken down, yeah. now these, these chinks in the armor appear. When I hurt my back five years ago, it was lifting a panic attack into a rescue and they didn't have a dump in, in that department. So you 
It was oh. kind of high in the deck. So yeah. I just had to kind of, and I arched my back just a little bit. Mm-hmm. So he was already hooked into the front. Yeah. I was literally just picking the back of this like 165 pound dude. Yeah. And it went. And so you look at it from the outside, like, well, what the fuck? How'd you get hurt there? Mm-hmm. Well, I got hurt there because of 15 years of all the shit I did up to that point mm-hmm. with no recovery. So as an athlete, like I said, if I'm going to, I used to fight Taekwondo at a pretty high level, you know, you, you train and you sweat, but then you have to go and, you know, active recovery, you go swim, you sleep, you, you know, you, you, you have to set yourself up and then in the sporting world, you peak, you, you set your, your training to perform at a certain point. Well, tactical athletes, we have to be on 24 seven. Yeah. So my question is when you're envisioning the drill ground of the men and women you work with now mm-hmm. and you look at them, did they suddenly just decide to become overweight and, and sluggish and unmotivated or has the environment created that way? You're going to get the people that still perform and stay in shape and educate themselves and all that stuff sure. regardless. But like you said, that, that percentage becomes very narrow. You get a lot of people that just kind of go through the motions, kind of looking forward to getting off the rig the next day. And that's not who those people are. They don't want to sit in a lazy boy and watch Jerry Springer reruns when they were in the academy. Mm-hmm. But it takes its toll. And my thing is we just have to change the way that we take care of these men and women to create the longevity. Because we, we literally, our average in our profession, our men and women die five years after retirement, 12 years younger than the average civilian. Mm-hmm. And the average civilian isn't in the mental and physical shape of most of those people on the grinder. So apples to apples is probably more like 20 years younger than what they should have been. That's yeah. unacceptable. These people are leaving their families every third day to serve their community. We need to take the best care of them and allow some short-sighted bean counter to be the cause of losing our men and women to cancer and heart disease and suicide and overdose is fucking unacceptable. So we're going to we're gonna transition to the next phase of this dialogue then because you ended it on a high note because we're at that point now. You talked about why, why, why. Well, let's talk about the whys, all right? Depression, anxiety, fear, lack of motivation, hostility, anger. Any one of those aspects motivates someone negatively, right? Or, or impact them negatively and, and decreases their level of motivation. And and so that physiological end result is where we're, we're not great mentally we, we lose our way and then you combine the concepts of ptsd you combine the way people are treated in our profession and an example i shared and this was something that concerned me when i reflected on the words that i had to share and i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about this real quick this is from marie guma's episode where we talked about my life and getting to the point of dealing with what was really wrong with me and how many processes I had to go through to get there. So let's go ahead and take a second and share that. I struggled for years going doctor to doctor looking for the right treatment for what I thought was clinical depression. What I really truly thought was depression. And I went almost 15, 20 years looking for the right doctor. And every doctor I went to was Here's a new medication to help with your feelings of depression. Here's another SSRI. You know, we'll do labs, and they never followed back up with me, and they just wrote me a script for a year, and they said, here, take this escitalopram, or take this, you know, Prozac, or take this Abilify, or take this medication. And it didn't help. At some points, I felt okay. And then to end that, there were many times where I would go to the next medication because I feel like I plateaued. So why are we dealing with this? How do we, how do we fix this? Where it's, it's almost as bad as going to a pill mill in a sense, it seems, because they're so quick to hand these medications out without having the requisite training besides having a doctorate or, well, a doctorate in medicine. Okay. Um, and Marie goes on to explain that in this process, you know, you really need to be careful, like buyer beware almost with regards to who you come in contact with. While GPs are great, they're doctors, there are more trained professionals who are more disciplined and understanding. So where the outcome for me was, it had nothing to do with depression, really. It had to do with having ADHD and a, and a clinician trained to recognize it after 20 years, James. That I had it, okay, and the battery of tests I had to go through to get to that point. But I was being treated as someone who was depressed. 
How, how are we missing this? What are we failing to do? I think that a good parallel would be, I'm sure so many people listening are on statins or on cholesterol meds or on you know, pre-diabetic, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's the way that the medical community, the non-progressive medical community is, is acting at the moment. So you walk in, all right, you, you fit these check boxes, clearly you're depressed. What do I do for depression? Oh, my algorithm says, you know, Abilify or whatever the hell that mm-hmm. you're given. Mm-hmm. Instead of going, well, why? Why are you depressed? Tell me about your home life. Tell me about your work schedule. Tell me about, you know, is there anything that's been troubling you? And I think it's the same way that we, we're talking a lot with the mental health and the PTSD. What have you seen? Mm-hmm. And the same way in the cancer world, we're talking about the clean cab. Absolutely. It makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. But what, the other part people are missing is the resilience part. But what's happening to our immune system? We all have cancerous cells in us. We all have broken DNA at some point. Yep. What is the, the defense is being broken down. So our little soldiers inside, you know, have got peg legs and a patch over one eye. You know what I mean? So that's why it's able to happen. So it's the resilience piece. We're not being told two things. We're not being told about... Um, what we're doing to create more vulnerability when it comes to mental health is creating depression, anxiety. We're focusing on, oh, well, he saw this bus full of kids killed. That's yeah. why. Not all the other shit that you're going through, you know, all the, all the like I said, the sleep and the things at home, organizational stress is a huge one, huge, huge one. Um, and so it's this algorithm thing. So what happened with, you know, with the lo- latest thing with you, and you said that you've had great results is, they reverse engineered to actually get to the root of the problem. And I think with the mental health, just like Rick was saying with physical mm-hmm. fitness, there is no one size fits all. Most definitely so not. So yeah. there'll be some people that EMDR works great for, some equine therapy, some of these retreats like Saber Warrior, but it's getting to the root of the problem. You don't fix hypertension with a fucking pill. You fix hypertension with diet and exercise. And it's proven 100%. You get everything to where it needs to be in your body composition, Mm -hmm. your diabetes will go away, unless Mm -hmm. you're obviously type 1. You know, hypertension, cardiac issues. So, But we're just throwing pills at people. And with the mental health side, I haven't got research or numbers, but what I'm seeing a common denominator is some of these drugs that are being thrown at people with mental health issues are contributing to suicide. And you look at the the warnings, just mm-hmm. to kind of not to poo-poo what I just said, it's in there. You know, it's it's a depression med, oh, may, may ca- cause suicide. That seems like a pretty shitty depression med to me if the side effect is may cause suicide. Well, it, it's scarier when it says if you come off of it suddenly, guess what? Oh, cold turkey on depression meds is, is a bad idea. Yeah, horrendous. And we all know that. Oh, yeah. But it doesn't solve the problem in the end. It's a and band-aid. You know, the, the, the bigger aspect is that, that wholeness that we talked about that you just mentioned. You you can fix most problems if you just take the time and you show a little bit of discipline and determination, okay? And I, I'm finding that out. Even at 42, it's like that mindset's recharging and the thought process is, all right, if I just take a walk, that'll lead to a run, that'll lead to something else. And trying to change the, the way I think and eat and treat my body, it's it's been... And I'm not going to beat myself up anymore. I'm done beating myself up. I'm trying to make a change for the better. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, since my body started regulating, I'm noticing a difference in my mindset, my happiness, and and pushing forward. I have more desire to. I'm not on a fucking SSRI that's telling me that I'm going to fix your problems because I'll chemically balance you, right? No, it's not helping. But then there's another side of it and something that I'm really intrigued with, and that's the CBD concept. And that's something you've taken a lot of interest in and have invested in your time and your education and and sharing your experiences with uh, something like CBD. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So like everyone else, I was very um, uneducated on it. I didn't even know what it was a few years ago. Mm -hmm. The the medical community only rediscovered the cannabinoid system in the late 90s. and that's what separates it from most supplements or whatever you want to you know, put them in, in that group is the cannabinoid system is a system in our body. And the best kind of analogy I found to what CBD is, so basically supplementing the cannabinoid system, mm-hmm. is if you think about an extrication. 
the first thing you have to do is you're going to chalk the wheels and, you know, crib the car. You're stabilizing everything. Sure, sure. That's not a fix. That's not getting anyone out or anything else, but you're buffering the voice. You're Mm -hmm. filling what's missing. And that's where I've seen CBD work so well. Say, for example, Becky, my wife, Mm -hmm. she had anxiety and and therefore she would get nervous being in crowds or being on her own, um, test taking. um, And it, when she started taking CBD, it completely leveled her out. Now that in itself is not fixing it, but that's allowing her then to start going out, feel comfortable, working on that self-confidence. Mm-hmm. People that um, have problems with sleep, they use CBD. Again, is CBD fixing the symptoms from no sleep? No, but when they start sleeping better, everything then starts to repair. So CBD is not a mar- miracle drug. It's certainly not snake oil. It's amazing, but it's not what you use to fix everything, it literally kind of gives you a, a charge to then fix whatever's going on that stopped you doing the wellness. I got a friend from my old apartment and his mother was basically bedridden mm-hmm. from this horrendous hip pain that she had. She couldn't get up. He'd mentioned it. I sent him the information of the one that I use. And then he texts me like three months later, like, you're not going to believe it. She's out of her bed and she's now attending PT sessions. Well, the PT is what's going to fix her. Yes. But she couldn't get to the PT because of the pain. Yeah. So that's why CBD is amazing. And people are so terrified um, because they think it's marijuana. It comes from the hemp plant. But the one I use is a zero THC. So mm-hmm. there is none of the, you know, the side that gets people high. So it's not tested for in a drug test because it'd be like testing for red blood cells. Sure. We're supposed to have it in our body. Um, and I've taken it and I've done P tests and I've had other people taking it and done P tests. It doesn't show up because it's not fucking, yeah. <laughs> it's not a, yeah. it's not a controlled drug, but you have to get the trusted source. So I use red pill medical, which mm-hmm. um, I had the, the founder of um, Dr. Smith on the show. And the reason I had him on, he's done documentaries on the opioid crisis mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. psych meds as well. And he's been leading from the front way before CBD was cool. Um, and so, and theirs is tested by a third party. So I trust it implicitly. Sure. But yeah, I mean, it's, but the, you'll hear all this negative stuff because these pharmaceutical companies don't want you taking it. Why would you, why would they endorse or be behind or not be threatened by a product that would basically stop you and most people with mental health issues, for example, taking their pills? Yeah. Now, don't be wrong. There's the, extreme schizophrenia bipolar where they have a purpose There's sure some you know with lithium sure. where they just that's the closest they can get to fix him but that's a very small percentage of people that take mental health um, pharmaceuticals and i think cbd for all over body and mind health is just incredible and i haven't met anyone yet that said anything other than they love it now again it's not a miracle fix no not at all led them down the path to then get to the root of the problem which is then fixed. And no way, shape, or form are we specifically endorsing that you should just go right to that and cold turkey, obviously. that That's not what we're saying. But there are options out there, and there are plenty of medical professionals and papers and you know research that exist. And you can do the research, talk to your doctor, think about the anti-inflammatory properties it has. You have all these top-tier athletes that endorse CBD use after workouts. Why? Because it speeds up recovery. It's an anti-inflammatory. It reduces the, the, the swelling in the muscle and the tissue. What about people like you said, your friend's mom that live in chronic pain? Now, it helped ease it. But it didn't fix it entirely. But what's going to fix it is getting into that rehab component. These are small things, small measures. I actually took the red pill for the sleep study they did last year. And I'm going to tell you, I had great results from that. I felt great. I went to bed easily. I even, I mean, to me, it, it didn't hinder my ability to sleep. I don't sleep well regardless, but it definitely helped me ease into that mindset to relax and get there. Yeah. So there's value there. And again, I'm I'm uneducated when it comes to it. I it's a big reason why I wanted you to come on as well as to talk about your knowledge and experience, not just in all things from your degree in, in exercise uh, physiology. Did I say it correctly? Yep. Okay, perfect. I have a tendency to fuck things up like that. <laughs> all the way down to just talking about simple measures like introducing um, all natural supplements. Okay, there's a million of them out there on the market. And it's just one prime example of how a supplement can help you if you want to do the research and obviously take the time to invest in that, right? Yeah. And you've just reminded me of a phrase. I, I say it a lot on the podcast, but 
like I said, everyone that I know has used it has had these amazing results. Some have had testimonies sent, sent to me from all over the place, but even with animals. Yeah. My mom had a dog that was basically almost at death's door. Mm-hmm. And now it's like a damn puppy again. Because again, it was fixing probably more of an inflammatory sure. Um, sure. issue. But the, the phrase I love is don't wait for science to prove what you already know is true. Oh, you wow. got to open your fucking eyes, take yeah. a step back. You know, you do not need, I, I told you, I had, I had people reach out and say, hey, do you have studies on why the 2472 would be better than the 2448? It's like, just stop for a moment and ask, think about what you just asked me. Mm-hmm. James, can you prove that a 42-hour work week is going to be better than a 56-hour work week? Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean you don't yeah. need a fucking study for that. No, and if you, you don't. do, then go to the sleep medicine world and the military. Sure. You know, they have all the answers, but you, you've also got to look at it. It's fucking common sense. Yeah. It's an extra day for you to recover from being up all night. It makes perfect sense. And so on closing notes here, let's go ahead and close this out on a high note. Give some pearls and perspective to some of our friends, our brothers and our sisters out there that are struggling and looking to make a change. Let's let's we talked about mentoring, we talked about the importance of being a leader and what Hialeah did for you in a sense, right? So the importance of mentoring, the importance of leadership, something I want to I want to get your thought on just to close this wonderful episode out. How do we inspire our brothers and sisters out there to be better? Again, it's investment in your people even at the station level. So my first department, Hialeah, very, very, you know, cliff note version, we were hired in a non-cert group. Mm-hmm. They realized half of us were certified. So while the civilians went through from zero through EMT school and fire school, they kept us on the drill ground in the middle of the Miami summer yeah. and beat the shit out of us for three weeks, the three months, excuse me. And it was amazing, absolutely amazing. But they taught us so well, even to the point of like station life. Like understanding that you have to get up early, you have to make the coffee, you're going to be cleaning, you know, all these, they just did it so well. And then you fast forward now, this whole talk just nauseates me. Oh, this generation, the fucking millennials, Mm -hmm. usually told by some piece of shit sitting in a, in a lazy boy watching ESPN reruns. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's, it's it's true though. It's true. It's true. You have to be, you have to be the solution. Yeah. So if someone comes in, and yes, they grew up in suburban America, mm-hmm. and they did play video games the whole life, but they realized one day they want to be a firefighter. They made it through the academy, and no, they don't know how to how to change you know change a chainsaw or uh, even even mop a floor. Then you get off your fucking ass and you show them how to do it. Now, if you've shown them a couple of times, they're still not getting it. Yes, of course we have problems. No, well, it's tough love at that point. Yeah, but yeah. I grew up. I told you, I grew up. As a farm boy in England, so manual labor was my thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't understand the grid system in America when I first moved here. I don't understand, you know, what kind of different roof constructions we have, what a bowstring truss roof was, what a panelized roof. I had to learn from amazing people that took the time and were patient and paid it forward. And then when you get that mentorship, um, you you then are apt to pass it on, that pay it forward again. So. If you want your department to be good, you have to mentor, you have to teach. And what I was very sad is, is my most recent place, I'd get the comment like, oh, you think you're the best firefighter in the world? I'm like, no, I got 14 years on. I'm looking for people to teach me. That's only 14 years, not even halfway through an average 30 year career. Yeah. But what's sad is I'm the most aggressive and experienced person in here because you literally have fucking watched TV all day. You're not mentoring. You're not getting out there. So you have to be a, you have to expand your own mind, and then in turn pay it forward. But if you are literally content with throwing your gear on the rig and just making it through twenty four hours, you probably should go work somewhere else because the people that we need that are going to respond to everyone listening to our children when they're hanging out with fucking window when their house is on fire, we need the best men and women that we can possibly get. And if they're too lazy to train themselves and certainly too lazy to train other people, then put your badge on the desk and go fucking work somewhere else. Just like the great Rick Lasky would say, if you can't meet the expectations, there's the door. James, that was uh, pretty intense. An hour. It seems like 
the, the whole closer with being a half hour of online training is just not good enough. I'm going to have to expand it to at least an hour, <laughs> maybe create one for 45 minutes because it seems like as we progress, we get into these podcasts, they just grow, 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 you know, and I got to thank you for taking the opportunity, uh, giving me the opportunity to come in here and sit in your home today and, and actually learn from you because it's been a, a wonderful experience to sit with such an awesome human being, someone who is out there making a difference in our profession through Behind the Shield, through your knowledge, through your education, through your experience, and someone who also believes in mentoring and leadership. And that is invaluable. So James, thank you for coming on today. And if you guys want, and you should, and I expect, Behind the Shields, uh, Behind the Shield podcast, how do they find it, James? Uh, just Google Behind the Shield or it's on all the, the apps, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those ones. All right. So you heard that Spotify and Stitcher and uh, SoundCloud. Did I yep. hear that correctly? That's correct. Oh, wow. Okay. I love it. So go check them out. Learn something. Be better. Take care. <laughs>